Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, hey, before I dive into our message today, I just want to say that I'm really glad you've joined us online. I'm aware in this kind of odd time that we're all scrambling a bit to figure out how do we respond, what do we do, and we're certainly scrambling a little bit as a church, but not as much as we would have been, right? As we've prepared down through the fall, as we've worked together with our teams, we anticipated to some extent that this could happen again. And so I'm so thankful that our teams are in place and our equipment's in place, our technology's in place so that we can continue to meet together online. I'm really thankful that you've joined us in this and together we can continue to grow, to worship, to experience life together. I'm really glad that you've joined us today. I want to open our time in prayer and uh, just ask for God to be with us as we gather now. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, I am thankful that we can meet this way. And though we live in an odd time where as a world we are wrestling with how to respond to this pandemic, I'm thankful that we as your people, that we the church, we aren't shut down. We are going to gather in some different ways. We're going to respond in some different ways, but you haven't shut us down. Nothing has shut us down. You promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against your church, and that's as true today as it's ever been. And so I just want to say thank you I want to bless you and um, express my gratitude for you and the work you're doing among us and the opportunity we have now to gather in this way. I do pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be in particular with those who are wrestling right now with health, people who are sick with COVID or with other sicknesses. And because of the COVID pandemic, that's harder too. I want to pray for those who are struggling with isolation and mental health. We want to pray in particular for those who are struggling with addictions and with, um, well, with struggles where because of COVID, it's been amplified. Domestic violence, um, struggles in families. We lift these up to you, Lord. We ask that your grace and your peace would intervene, that we as your people would, would be able to respond, to care, to express your love through our actions. For us as the Erickson Covenant Church, And for all of the churches here in the Creston Valley, I just ask that you be working through us, gathering us together, virtually but in real ways as we seek to follow you and help others find and follow you. And so we just bless you today and thank you for our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, how do you know you're Canadian? Now, I realize not all of us are Canadians, so some of us are Americans, perhaps, living in Canada or living abroad, or maybe even some international folks tuning in. Great. Glad to have you here. This might help you. But if you are Canadian, how do you know you're Canadian? What are those telltale signs? Well, here's 10. See if any of them relate to you. You know you're Canadian when you aren't confused when someone compliments your toque. How about this? You know you're a Canadian when you understand the sentence, sorry, could you pass me the serviette? I've spilled my poutine. Maybe on my toque. You're not confused at all. 
You know you're a Canadian when you eat chocolate bars, not candy bars, when you drink pop, not soda. You know you're a Canadian when you drive on a highway, not on a freeway. And you really know you're Canadian, and maybe you've been around for a while, when you still have a bunch of Canadian tire money in various kitchen drawers. You know you're a Canadian when you get excited when a Canadian city or a Canadian place gets mentioned on an American TV show. That just happened to me this week. Randomly, out of nowhere, the actor mentioned that she'd been raised in Calgary. Now, she pronounced it wrong. It was obviously nobody on the set knew how to say Calgary properly, but still, it was Calgary was mentioned. I, I frankly got a little excited confirming my Canadian identity. You know you're Canadian when you've been plugging your car in for years, but it's not a hybrid, and it's definitely not a Tesla. You know you're Canadian when you've actually frozen your tongue to something metal and lived to, well, eventually tell about it. And you know you're Canadian when A is an important part of your vocabulary, eh? You know you're Canadian when. Well, what would you add to the list? What are some of the telltale signs that you're Canadian or maybe you're in the presence of a Canadian? Go ahead, put that in the chat. Share that with a friend. You know you're Canadian when. Well, we're continuing our Living True series. In fact, this is the fourth and final week of this particular series as we've been exploring the first chapter and a half of this little letter of 1 John. And today we're going to be exploring the telltale sign that we are in relationship with the true God. You know you're in relationship with God when, or even you know you're a Christian when. The telltale signs that we've been truly connected to God. And that everything we've been learning is actually true. Now, this is a really important question, and yet it is kind of tricky. When you ask, how do I know I'm a Christian? Or how do I know I'm a Jesus follower? Or how do I know I'm connected to the true God? It's easy for us sometimes, it's easy for others, to begin listing off a bunch of things that may or may not be true in our lives. And then, depending on how we sort of measure up to those things, we can feel guilty, we can feel shame, we can feel discouraged or panicky or even threatened. Or conversely, and sometimes more dangerously, we can kind of feel proud of ourselves, maybe even a bit self-righteous because we're keeping the things that are on the list. When we talk about how we know that we are Christians, or how we know that we are in relationship with God, it's very important that we keep what we already know is true straight in our minds and hearts. Because it is amazing to me to see how easy it is for us to lose sight of God's grace the moment we start talking about the signs of God's grace in our lives. Very easy. Surprises me. Let me say that again. It's very easy for us to lose sight of God's grace when we start talking about the signs of God's grace in our lives. And yet the question, how do I know this is real? or How do I know this is true is really important because we want to have some assurance. We want to have some confidence. We want to be able to trust that what we're, what we're actually experiencing or that we're actually in connection with the true and living God. Well, today, John, the elder John, the apostle John, who wrote these letters, he wants us to know this. He he wants to show us what we need to look for 
the, the fruit, as it were, so that we can know, we can actually be confident and assured that we are following the true God for real. Today we're picking up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We're continuing on in the thread that we've been exploring. What does it mean for us to live through? We're going to start with 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, and then we're going to read through to verse 11. But I'll stop along the way and make some comments. So we're starting in 1 John 2, 3. Here it goes. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, referring to God, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the first sign that we know God is that we obey God. Coming into relationship with God, knowing the true God, is not something that simply resides in our minds. It's not something that is out on an external list and, okay, that's it there, and that's our, that's our set of beliefs, but rather something that is expressed through our lives. That knowledge of the true God produces obedience to the true God, where our lives begin to look more and more like his son more and more like Jesus in the way that we live. But you see, what's tricky about saying obedience, what's tricky about saying that is that everyone has a different idea of what obedience looks like. Religious people love rules. And so when you say knowing God is expressed in our obedience to him, people are often willing to agree with you. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then begin to tell you, all the rules you need to be obeying in order to be a true Christian. Now, you might be very familiar with this, depending upon your background. I grew up in Christian circles that had a very long set of rules. And those are the rules that all true Christians followed, or at least that's what we thought. And anyone who didn't quite follow the rules or broke a few of them, they were immediately suspect. Maybe not really Christian of course, that got super confusing when you'd meet other groups of people who seemed to be following the same Jesus and had a different set of rules. There were certain rules that we had that they didn't even acknowledge, didn't follow. And we get these groups together and try to figure out who was really real. Well, what does obeying God really mean? John says, it's how we know that we know God. So what does it mean? Well, we've got to go a bit further to understand that because this is where John goes next. He says this. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. You know, I, I do feel at this point you want to just kind of go, um, John, what? 
Is that overly helpful? You said you're not giving a new command, an old command, one you've already heard, but actually it is new. And you think, okay, but you haven't actually told us what it is. Well, we can find out because actually, John's going to get more explicit soon, but we've already got enough to go on. If you've heard the whole gospel of John and the teaching of Jesus, this is actually connecting with a bunch of things that we've already heard. Or at least if we've heard the teaching of Jesus in the gospel of John, it resonates very deeply. And so what I want to do is take you for a moment back into the gospel of John and then actually forward in John's own letter here to easily define what John is talking about. And then it'll be clear in the passage for today. So first thing I want to do is take you back to John chapter 13. Jesus is in the upper room of his disciples. He's just washed their feet. And then he begins to teach them. And it's the longest teaching we have, single teaching we have in the gospel of John. Maybe in all the gospels, actually. And um, Jesus is teaching his disciples in, the, in just the hours before he goes to the cross. Okay, that's the context. And so this is what he says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Did you hear that? New command, love one another as I have loved you. Just a chapter or two forward in John chapter 15, it's still the same block of teaching. Jesus says again, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is verse 9 of John chapter 15. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then Jesus cinches it up by saying, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So, That's what's resonating. When John says, uh, I'm not giving you a new command, but an old one, one you've received in the beginning, he's referring directly to this teaching that they would have received when they first learned about Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. But then if you jump forward in the letter itself of 1 John, I just want to pick a couple of verses out of chapter 3. In 1 John 3.11, he said, This is the message you heard from the beginning. He's using the same language that he's using in the verse for today, right? When he said, not a new command, old command, one you heard from the beginning. Well, here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, he says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then just a few verses later in, in 1 John 3, he said, and this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and to love one another as he's commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. All over the place in John's gospel, in the mouth of Jesus, the new old command is quite simply, love each other as Jesus, the one we believe in and follow, has loved us. Love as you've been loved. Now, backing up slightly, what this means is that when John says, we know God when we obey his commands, what's he talking about? 
he's actually talking very uh, pointedly about love. The sign that we are in relationship with the true God, who is love, is that we will then obey him by loving each other as Jesus loved us. Now, I took you through some scriptures both in John's gospel and then a little later on the letter, but now John's actually going to move straight into a really practical application of this. And I believe it's because he knows that they know exactly what he's talking about when he says this new old command business. He knows that they immediately know, oh, that's the love command. Because what John does next is he, he plants that right on the ground for them. Back to 1 John 2, verse 9, he says this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John draws out here in really stark terms the incompatibility of saying, oh, I know God, but I hate her. Or that we are somehow walking in the light, which we made that connection already early in the series, that walking in the light has a moral dimension, loving others, but really talks about, about confessing and believing and accepting Jesus and what he has done in forgiving us. And, and dying for us. And so it's connected to that, to say that I'm walking in the light, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet to refuse to love a brother and a sister, these things don't match up. It's like light and dark. They, they can't coexist. Love and hate, it can't coexist. The true God being in us and hatred for others, these can't coexist. Love for God will always be revealed in loving action for others. And John wants people to see that. How do we know that we are in relationship with God? Well, it's expressed through our love for others. Well, taking all of this in, let me just offer you a few reflections today on the whole of this passage. Just a few. First, I want you to take note of the, I want to say the gospel order of things here. Starting with 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Taking in the last four weeks that we've explored together, the gospel means the good news. And I want you to note the order of even how things have flowed out through this series, through this first chapter and a half. Remember, we began with the true news. that The one who is from the beginning, the touched, heard, felt, seen one. Jesus Christ himself, the word of God in the beginning. The revelation of who God is, perfectly expressed through Jesus, who is fully man and fully God. And the true news then is received and responded to in faith, which creates this new relationship, the true fellowship that we talked about, not only with God, but with each other. True news about Jesus, creating this true new relationship, this true fellowship. And that is founded upon the forgiveness that comes. And we explored that, how Jesus forgives us and cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness as we confess him and we confess our sins. He pours his grace in our lives so that we can live completely free. And that fellowship and that forgiveness, that changes us. 
And loving others as Christ has loved us becomes the natural expression of what we've received, of that grace. Like apples growing on a healthy apple tree, loving others grows naturally from the roots of being connected to Jesus himself, the perfect revelation of God. And this is why John can say with such confidence, we know that we know him by our obedience to his commands when we're living like Jesus. Because he's saying that's the natural outflow. That's the family resemblance. That's what happens when you come into relationship with the God who is love, who has revealed himself through Christ. That where the true God is known, true love is shown. Catch that? Where the true God is known, true love is shown. And that's why we must never get confused about what comes first, that God's grace is always first, that what God has done in Jesus for us is always first, and it activates us, brings us into his family, cleanses us, forgives us, frees us up, and fills us by the Holy Spirit, activating us to truly love as we have been loved, to look more like Jesus in our actions and our words every day. Obedience to God doesn't create the relationship with God. Let's be really clear about that. God initiates everything on our behalf, bringing us into fellowship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ, bringing us into fellowship with each other through the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiving us, washing us clean, and coming to live in us, and the confidence that we have in in, in who God is and what he has done for us, that's what creates in us this obedience, this following, this loving others as a natural result. Our love for others is a fruit of the fellowship and the forgiveness and the freedom. It's not the cause of it. That's the first reflection. Take note of the good news order of things. Never forget that grace comes first. Second reflection is this. The true knowledge of God is always transformative. It's always transformative. To know the true God is to be transformed by that encounter. And and you would rightly say, in in a process of ongoing transformation, as the Holy Spirit works in us, continues to draw us after him. But it is transformative knowledge. As I've already said, it's not just head knowledge. It's not about knowing some facts and figures. It's not about being able to rattle off information about God. While I'm not going to downplay that kind of information, it's important to recognize that this is a relational knowing that actually alters us in the encounter with God. The God who is love comes to us through Christ, now lives in us by his spirit, and we are transformed by his love. I've often talked in the past, uh, the scriptural principle that we see quoted in the Psalms a number of times, but all through Scripture, that we become like the gods that we worship. We worship a false god. We will come to mimic and imitate that god. I was in a discussion yesterday with my family about a person that uh, is known uh, to, to my, my, one of my sons in particular, who everything about this individual represents someone who has worshipped at the idol of money his whole life. And as a result, his ability to empathize his ability to care for his staff, his ability to to understand and and kind of, frankly, to be human about it has largely been lost because, I would say, 
He's worshipped the idol of money his whole life, and he's become like the God that he worshipped. So I say that to say this. All worship is transformative in some way, or you could say deformative in some way. But worshiping the true God, coming into relationship with the true God who's revealed himself through Christ, will always transform us in the encounter. We will become more and more like the God we worship, the God who made us in his image. And so it is right, not in a judgmental or condemning way, it is right to say, if love is not present in someone's life, you can rightly question the theology that they hold. We often see people touting certain beliefs about God, things that they say are right and true, and yet their lives do not add up. They believe things, say things, do things that are in complete contradiction to the theology they may state that they hold. And it is right for us to question certain theologies or even certain people whose lives of love are not measuring up to the theology they hold. Because true theology and the true God, a belief and worship of the true God, will result in obedient love for others. I say that carefully because I know how judgmental it is. Easy to get judgmental. I know, I know how easy that is. But I, I hold it up to say this. What John is saying here is that love for others, it means something. It shows us something. It reveals something. So it's right to question that. But perhaps more importantly, if love is not growing in our own lives, then the answer for us is clear. The answer is for us to return to the source, to worship the God who has loved us in Christ, to receive again the forgiveness, the good news, to respond again in in worship and adoration for what God has done in Christ, and then to act on that in loving ways, to do the loving thing, to obey the God who has loved us in Christ in practical, tangible ways. Because true knowledge... The knowledge of the true God doesn't just transform our hearts and minds. It transforms our actions. We choose now to love. You've heard it often said that love's not a feeling. It's not a warm fuzzy. It's an action. It's obedience. It's actually conformity to the life of Christ, where we focus our whole attention on Jesus, who has revealed God to us perfectly. We watch how he interacts with people, how he engages those around him. And we let his actions reshape our actions. We obey the God who has loved us in Christ by loving others as he has loved us. And sometimes we're going to do that regardless of how we feel. Other times our feelings will match. The point that we're called to make here is that our obedience to the action is in response to the love that God has shown us in Christ. And we are transformed as a result. My third reflection is this. The law of love is what rules the family of God. The law of love is what rules the family of God. In God's family, obedience is not about following some random, arbitrary list of rules that somebody at one point thought up and we aren't even sure why they're there. No. It's about lives that are reshaped by the love of Christ. You need to know this clearly. God is not obsessed with rule-keeping. What he is obsessed about is people-keeping. Nothing drives the heart of God more than keeping people through love. And so, through Jesus, we get this one rule. Love one another as I have loved you. 
that love looks like Jesus. That he's not only the perfect revelation of God to us, but he's the perfect example, revelation of love to us. And of course, we know that God is love. It's the same thing. But when we look at Jesus, we see the love of God. When we look at Jesus, we also see how we are to love. It's important to recognize here that the sense in which this is a new command is this. Jesus himself quoted the Gospels, in the Gospels, quoted the Old Testament command to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And loving our neighbor as ourselves is a good and holy thing. But I want you to note something important. When Jesus challenges us to love each other, commands us to love each other, he changes the orientation of that love yet again. We are no longer called, strictly speaking, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But now, to love others the way that Christ has loved us. Christ has brought the perfect definition to what our love should look like. And I'm no longer just asking, well, do I love myself? How much do I love myself? That's how much I'm going to love others. No, no. (laughs) Now I'm asking, how much has Christ loved me? How much has Christ loved us? The rule of love is what drives me, what drives us, as we look at the love of Jesus for us. Well, let's quickly go to application. My application today, quite honestly, the broad application is yours to make. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit is driving you today and inviting you today to apply this. I pray that you'll be hearing that. But I want to ask one probing question and then offer one practical response. The first probing question is this. How is God's love for you in Jesus expressing itself in loving action for others? In your own life, I invite you to take some stock. Now, I want you to hear this question in light of the fellowship, the forgiveness, and the freedom that we have. Keep the order of the gospel in place. In other words, when I ask you the question, how are you growing in love? Don't immediately go to guilt and condemnation. No, no. All the way through, remember, John's words we just heard last week, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Remember? So we we don't need to approach this question with fear or with like, oh no, I'm out and I'm not a Christian. Don't do that. You can still ask this question, God, how is your love being expressed through my loving actions? And then let's do an honest assessment of that. Am I growing in love for my neighbor? Am I growing in love for my family? Am I growing in love for people in my workplace that are difficult? People in my school that I dislike? Am I growing in love for people out there who think, vote, act differently than me? Is my love growing or is it waning? Am I becoming hard-hearted toward others or is there a new softness in my heart and mind and my action toward those in my community? How is the love of God shown to us in Jesus How is that expressing itself in our loving obedience to God? I invite you to ask that question. Write this down. Take it to the Lord. Take it to Jesus and ask him to reveal that to you. This is not about condemnation. But where there is conviction of sin, confess it. Remember, that's what we've been talking about. It's okay. Say, oh, wow. I realize as I ask this honest question that I have been harboring a a grudge or a, a... 
negative thoughts toward this person or this group of people. And I confess that to you, Jesus. That's sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Claim the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Do that and know that you can express this and confess this in complete freedom. And even in that, Jesus is encountering you and transformation is happening. So that's my probing question. The second thing I want to offer is a practical response. And that's directly related to how we are responding as a church and as individuals during this time of pandemic. These restrictions are tough. I know that. For some of us, tougher than others. Putting on a mask for some of us is a tough thing to do. We feel ashamed or weird. I get it. Limiting physical contact with friends and even family seems wrong. During this time, I want to challenge you to think of these restrictions, this public health order. I want to challenge you to think about how we can express concretely our obedience to God through our loving actions for others. How restricting some of our personal freedoms for the sake of the most vulnerable, how central that is to the gospel story that we believe. How central that is to the action of Jesus Christ for us. Jesus himself said, and what we already quoted, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Listen, friends, no one restricted their freedom more than Jesus did when he came to be one of us. No one laid down their lives in more sacrificial ways than Jesus did, and he did it for us. And he calls us now to love each other in practical, tangible ways and to do it as he loved us. Now, I know there's lots of information floating out there about the pandemic. I'm well aware. Please don't send me any more. I've really received it. And you can think, frankly, whatever you want about all of this. But that doesn't change our obedience to God's command to love each other as Christ has loved us. And right now, tangibly, concretely, laying down our lives for others, that kind of love right now means that we put on a mask, that we limit physical contact, that we are careful with each other for the sake of the vulnerable, for the sake of the medical system, for the sake of our people and our community and our church. But we do that not as a, oh, well, I guess we can't love and care for each other. No, We lean in. We get intentional. We make some uh, reminders. I'm going to call these people on this day. I'm going to email this group of people. I'm going to reach out through Facebook to this group of people. I'm going to continue to pray for certain people in my community. I'm going to call my community group leader, and I'm going to ask who in our community group is feeling vulnerable and isolated right now so I can remember to pray for them, to reach out to them, to send them a gift or a card, or call them. We can tangibly care for one another in super practical ways, even when we're restricting some of our personal freedoms for the sake of love. And friends, isn't that how Jesus loved us? I think so. I think so. And so that's the challenge for us. Friends, my prayer for us is that we would be living true. 
That's been the goal of this short four-week series, that we would experience God's grace that transforms our lives. And as a result of that ongoing transformation, the good news ripples would go out from us into a world that is ravaged by sin and sickness, walking in darkness, bound up by guilt and shame, that this true news of what Jesus has done in coming to us reuniting us in true fellowship with the Father and with each other, releasing us in freedom because of the true forgiveness we've experienced, and then activating us to truly love as we have been loved. Friends, that is the key to the transformation of the world. That is the way God is taking his broken creation and setting it right again. He did it through Christ. He's now doing it through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. As we go into our final song today, we're going to celebrate the good, good father that we have. What he says about us, what we say about him. And I want to invite you even now as you sing along or hum along or just listen, that you would open up your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit and even now receive his transforming knowledge, his transforming power as he activates us to live true to love true. Let's sing. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.